industry standard of podcasting at the moment is like going in really like like this right just generic conversation like that but i feel like it's carried by uh, a fan like a loyal fan base that sort of is invested in what they're talking about realistically we need a few episodes where we just chat shit and people like ideally warm to us but I guess you can't really manifest that out of nowhere. No, I do think there's a handful of listeners who are like probably actually like, you know, big fans of the work that I do on United Cloud and like actually want to listen to what I say about anything, but probably very, very few people. Um, and whoever you are, if you're one of those people, please let me know because uh, that's that's really, really important. Um, the most important people we've got listening. Um but like, yeah, I don't think anyone really wants to hear about my pre-podcast meal, for example. On the topic of chatting shit, is the story mm. of how we started this week by getting pied by Sean Millis. <laughs> is that something you want to shed light on, Isaac? Uh, we, don't, we don't need to go too much into it. We were hoping to have Sean Millis on the podcast. It should have been quite funny. We did get one response, but uh, I don't know. I think, I think you're doing I think he's... a disservice there, mate. You were the first man Ooh. to contact his media team before he came yeah. to the UK. It's true. It is true. Well, as far as we're concerned, it's probably true. But, you know, he had, he had his, uh, he had it, he had his, he had his fair enough, uh, you know, he had his uh, little feature on TalkSport and everything. So I'm not going to complain too much about Sean Minnis. But, um, yeah, he was at the West Ham game. I was at the West Ham game. Really good um, this weekend. I really enjoyed that. Um, I think it's the best United, the most comfortable United home win in a while. It's been nice going up to Old Trafford and actually not having to worry about coming back down to London like the disgusting Southern United fan that I am, um, you know, in, you in, in, in tears. No, we just went straight. Me and my brother went up straight. We came up and down. Um, full day of anti-West Coast. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I heard you had a, a couple of nightmares on that day as well. Or was it a, an easy ride? I don't know. It was um, it was a day of strikes, uh, so our train actually did get cancelled. Well, the only problem was it meant that we couldn't we couldn't get. We were thought we were going to have a Pizza Express afterwards, but to be honest with you, I had a Pizza Express the other day, and it was like the worst thing ever. I, I I've literally I love Pizza Express, but really going down in my estimation anyway. So yeah, we didn't get a chance of a pizza after the game. We just went straight on the train. Then we realised our train was cancelled and so sat on another train for 20 minutes. Everyone knows about Avanti West Coast. Well, if you don't know about Avanti West Coast, it's Follow a terrible Isaac's service between <laughs> London and Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow Isaac's it's, Twitter it's, it's if all... you don't know about Avanti West Coast. <laughs> yeah, at Isaac Lasky, uh, the personal one. It's basically me just complaining about, occasionally retweeting some United Cloud stuff and then otherwise complaining about the infrastructure in this country. I mean, we spoke about how other podcasts sort of industry standard is chatting shit. We managed to chat shit for about three minutes. Hopefully that's mm. interesting enough shit to make the pod. If not, <laughs> uh, we're going straight into the pod and the Gagan press. So welcome to the United Cloud. Uh, episode first, three. Yeah, episode three. First time that I've done the intro because, you know, we've been holding off on Isaac doing the intro because he is the man himself. But hopefully, if you have stuck around for the first two episodes, you know who I am by now. You obviously know Isaac. He is the man himself. Uh, and if you have stuck around for the first two episodes, you might know and be a bit more familiar with the structure of how we uh, start the podcast. Uh, we start it with a section called the Gagan Press, uh, a section dedicated to 
giving Isaac some tough, tricky topics of conversation, which are quite relevant in United Media, and going through them as concisely as possible. And uh, the topics I chose uh, based off Isaac's uh, social media feed, based off the things that have been quite relevant and popping off. Uh, the first one, uh, if we're going to jump straight into the Gagan Press, was the fact that Ten Hag said when his strongest squad was available, he would return with some good performances for Man United. And the post you did was a little quote post that said, you didn't believe me. And uh, that, that did fairly <laughs> well. Uh, Isaac, as quickly and concisely as possible, uh, what did you make of United returning with a stronger squad and hopefully repaying what the manager said? The first thing I want to say, and this isn't explicitly United related, is that people often use those like Bleacher Report style like quotes as memes. So I started doing it with my own posts and I used the you didn't believe me as a meme for my for my teammates talking about my five-a-side tactics this week when we won, won our first game. But yeah, um, they didn't believe him. I believed him, I think. I think I believed that, you know, we spoke about it in the last two podcasts anyway, how the tactical level of the team would improve massively when players returned. And we've seen what a big difference Martinez and Casemiro made already, um, especially Martinez, more on that later. Um, but yeah, I think he said it was his strongest squad that he had at his disposal as well um, for the West Ham game uh, ever since he's arrived at Old Trafford. I think that was absolutely correct. Um, still got Mason Mount to come back, which would be very interesting to see. But um, I, I genuinely think that this is a much better team than it's been given credit for for much of the season. And, and that's because of injuries. And now we've got everyone back. It looks like we know what we're doing it. And we will go into more detail with um, some features that we saw in the squad against West Ham and features about the strongest team being back. But for now, we move on to another post that did very well, uh, relating to Old Trafford being knocked down and built a couple hundred metres into the car park. So, Isaac, what are your thoughts on that? This is a very divisive topic. There's a purist mm. football section, football fan section, and then people that don't really give a shit as long as it's a new stadium. What, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because where I sit at Old Trafford isn't the best like sort of location in terms of access and view and like, just the sort of modernity of the, of the concourse. But I, I do think that upgrading Old Trafford is, is uh, a requirement. And when I say upgrading, I mean, you know, starting again. Um, upgrading to a different stadium. Now, it's, look, it's, it's, it's a very historic location and there's a lot of history there in those walls. But at the end of the day, you compare it to our rivals and our Old Trafford doesn't match it. If you've been to any of the other big six stadiums, perhaps other than Stamford Bridge, where they're looking at changing anyway, um, you can see the difference. And eventually they're going to need to move out of Old Trafford um, because, because, because of the fact that football is moving so quickly and they're going to want to get more fans in. It just makes sense, makes sense to do it now. I don't really see what's the point in waiting. If they're going to do it in 20 years, why not just do it now? Um, as much as anything else, the location is what matters. Put it in the car park. I think it's feasible. Do it. Go for it. Um, be worthwhile. Just in you not think we want to build something on the same patch of grass? Because I look at it. That's the mm. same patch of grass that the Busby Babes played on through to uh, the class of 92. You know, that patch of grass... You know, with the iconic sloped edges. I know every time I'm at Old Trafford, sometimes I do just sit there and deep it and think, wow, like people have chanted the same chants here for so many years. And now I'm part of this sort of culture. So uprooting that yeah. grass, I know it's really not that deep to some people. 
is just a patch of grass. Move it 200 meters to the left, it's still a patch of grass. But to me, when I'm sat in the stands and I hear, you know, the banks of Irwell echoing from the Stretford end, part of that, like, the purist in me looks at it and thinks, yeah, this is this is Old Trafford. I don't know if you lose a bit of that moving it 200 meters backwards into the car park, but I don't know. That's my thoughts on it, at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would like to respond to you, but let's keep let's keep the section moving. Maybe we can discuss it later. Yeah, let's keep it flowing. Uh, the next post is uh, a player-related post that sort of the next two posts really, because uh, the first section we want to talk about is uh, Garnacho starting 19 games in a row. That was a post that you did that uh, popped off quite well. What are your thoughts on Garnacho's rise through the ranks and performances this year? Well, I mean, I wanted to talk about Garnacho on the right as, as, as a sort of idea, which anything else. I mean, obviously he was playing on the left quite a lot with, with Rashford on the right. And then he was playing on the left with Rashford, um, not in the team. Um, then he was moved over to the right where it made more sense because you know, the balance of the team wasn't quite right with Garnacho left and Rashford right. I think Garnacho on the right has been fantastic. I do want to go into that later in the episode, talking about maybe the angles he has available to him and why it helps him and why it might not help him. Um, but his his professionalism and the way that he's stuck with it, you know, throughout his entire spell working with Eric Ten Hag, but not least this season when we really needed him to step up, has been fantastic. And some of the goals he scored have been great. I think that overhead kick did him the world of good confidence-wise. And ever since then, he's really kicked on. And he's he's not operating at a world-class level, but he's operating at a very, very good one. And, you know, you see flashes of his world-class potential all the time. And I'm excited to see how he keeps on going, especially with this little thing he's got going with Hoyland now. I mean, I guess that segues us perfectly into the uh, the main section. Uh, it was the final section of the um, the Gagan Press, the th- the photo of the three uh, young talents, prodigies, if you'd like to call them, sort of emulating the the Holy Trinity statue, uh, and that's the photo mm. of Hoyland, Garnacho, and Kobe Mainu. Uh It's a post that did very well and uh, something to be excited about as a United fan. Absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I had a decent view of it from, you know, the actual, that, that, that celebration unfolding from where I sit. And um, I took my own little picture of it. It wasn't, wasn't quite as good. wasn't quite as close uh, by any means. But um, honestly, like, you know, the three of them, people, they, they're very confident guys. And I think all of them have, you know, Maynou, Maynou maybe not, but Garnacho and Hoyland certainly have been questioned quite a lot this season. Um, there was points where people were saying they weren't scoring enough and, you know, they weren't ready or whatever. And they are young and maybe they're not quite ready for the highest level week in, week out yet, but they are brilliant talents and they've developed so much this season mentally, physically, tactically. It's been really, really good to see. Um, Garnacho especially, more more on him, but his his his, his tactical development is incredible. Um, the understanding between the three of those players is really, really good. I thought Maynou was outstanding against West Ham. Um, his decision decision making on when to pass, when to carry, when to pick which pass is getting better all the time. So the three of them are improving so much so quickly. It's almost hard to, to 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 remember that they're only you know the average age is like what nineteen and a half or something between the three of them. It's crazy. I want to speak about something. Just picking up on something you said there about Maynou mm. um, and how he was deployed. And I think in recently, since Casemiro has come back, he's been deployed further up the pitch, which has allowed him to strike up some connections with Garnacho on the right and Hoyland in the centre. Uh, I wanted to ask you, well, first of all, well done for playing yourself out of the Gagan press, Isaac, and into the main <laughs> section of the video. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how best do you think Mainu can be deployed to sort of 
make him have connections with the with the three uh, as a three uh, with the two players we were talking about before. And if that's further up the pitch, or if he is doing his better work in the first third of of the of the play. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a big asset in the first first third um, because he is so calm under pressure. He is very high volume possession player. You know, he's happy to pick up the ball from deeper areas. But I don't know. It depends. Obviously, we're we're looking here now at short term and long term, right? Long term, what's Ten Hag's plan? What's United's plan in terms of you know buying maybe a Casemiro replacement or, or sticking with Casemiro for another season? Like, how do you how do you balance that? That that's going to be a big question um, for me at the moment. I like I like Maynu as sort of the right number eight who's got license to drop deeper and, and is expected to drop deeper deeper to help him build up. Not least because I think the positional um, rotations with Dallow um, at right back work really well. When Dallow comes inside, Eric Ten Hag backs Kobe Maynu's ability under pressure so much so that you know he thinks he's technically secure enough to receive on the touchline, and and that and that that works right. So. I, I quite like Mainu being on the right. Um, I think it, obviously it means, as you say, he can he can he can link up with Garnacho quite well. There were a few times where he slipped Garnacho in behind, and that's something we're going to see more and more and more. Um, I think he can play on the left as well, uh, but for me, I think he's definitely a player who's more of a connector. You know, I see him on, on the right hand side, and I can see that being a long term view for him. Yeah, hundred percent. Just wanted to say something that something you said there throws me back to how uh, Ten Hag deployed. Frankie de Jong, obviously a technically secure mm. midfielder. Um, in the season where Ajax went into the semi-final and lost to Spurs, there was times where de Jong played centre-back and there's also times where he's playing a very advanced eight role. And I just think Menu has a blueprint there in terms of a, a, a player that Eric Ten Hag has developed to be sort of, I don't want to say a jack-of-all-trades because then the, the sentence after that is a master of none, but... Is more a master of everything uh, as a midfielder goes, a Swiss army knife in midfield. And I think, you know, what his performances uh, in the last few matches since Casemiro has shown is that he's very capable of, of doing a lot of roles, again, down to his technical security. Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I saw that you noted and said um, that you saw a lot of carrying from Manu. Uh, how do you think he can mm. best implement that into his game? I think he needs to like. I mean, I'm, I, think, I know he watches a lot of Bruno Fernandez, right? Both both in training, working with him, speaking to him, um, and I'm sure he does in general. Because uh, Fernandez is, is, is somebody who's very well, yeah, since he's, since he's arrived at United has probably improved his selection of of, of what to do, um, better retention wise. I mean, mainly somebody who can keep the ball absolutely fine, right? And I think both me and you have talked about how maybe sometimes he can be a bit more adventurous in his decision making. But the player you mentioned earlier, um, you know, lots to talk about him in the week, and I'd love to maybe touch on that later. But Frankie De Jong is probably somebody worth watching for Kobe Mainu in terms of you know how does how does De Jong know when to when to carry? And obviously, people have compared compared Mainu to Thiago. Um, I've seen, you know, on Twitter quite a lot this week, people comparing that sort of first touch that he takes where, you know, you go in and out sort of thing, um, outside of the boot, uh, first touch, move away from the press, which works really well, right? Um, I, I, I think that it's it's definitely a case of how, how, do you, how do you determine where the space is? Are you going to be more confident? And I genuinely think so much of it, Mainu is just confidence at this, at this level because he, he's got it all up there. And we've seen enough of it. And against West Ham, uh, I did note, and I said to you before, 
um, I wanted to talk about how his how his carrying has improved. Like you know, we're seeing his decision making when carrying improving a lot. There were times where he evaded pressure. I think twice where he in the first half where he progressed progressed up the pitch, having beaten a couple of players just from a from a carry, and then slid it into Ganacho uh, at one point. I remember, and I think that's something where we haven't. That's probably you know the only asset in his game. Um, from from youth team football that's not really been seen um, at, its, at, its, at its best in senior football yet. So I'm assuming it's much much more a confidence thing than anything else because physically and technically he's got it. Um, what do you think? Do you think it's a, something we'll see more of? Uh, just something I wanted to notice on that. I think we will see more of it. Uh, and then something you mentioned there was a stylistic comparison to Thiago. I think the biggest... Mm. Um, sort of the easiest way to make that comparison is through how they use their body to shield the ball. Uh, when there is a lot of pressure, uh, pressure on applied on both players, they're very good at using their arms to sort of push off uh, a defensive player to create some space between them and, and the opposition. And from that space, it gives them space to react to anyone coming towards them. So yeah. in a way, I feel like if... If Maynu does develop carrying into his game, he's less so to be a proactive carrier in the sense that, you know, like a Mateus Nunes, um, who's another example. Is I it say a Kovacic, maybe. Kovacic. They're proactive um, carriers of the ball. And I don't think Maynu's mm. quite going to develop into that. I think he has the capability to do that, but I don't think it really suits his game. I think he's more mm. so. Uh, a, t- a technically secure footballer that can carry it through the fact that he is so technically secure, very similar to how Thiago did his best work at Bayern and Barcelona. Uh, to move this section on Manu on, um, I am slightly aware that you're a Welshman and a United fan, <laughs> so bringing England into the conversation might not necessarily be up your street, mate, but... A lot of people have been getting very hyped, United fans, uh, fair to say, about the, the potential of Kobi Menu playing for England and potentially forming a midfield three with uh, Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice. As a Welshman mm. or just as a Kobi Menu enthusiast, what do you make of that and how do you think <laughs> that could work? It's interesting. We're playing Wales, England this weekend. Um, so I'm very, very in the rugby, so I'm very excited for that. But Generally, my bias doesn't in football. I'm, I'm I'm pretty you know easy on England. I'm, I don't really care too much. Um, rugby's a different story. Um, so there's not going to be too much bias from me here. I, I mean, obviously I want mainly to play for England because I want our players to do as well as they possibly can, right? Um, and I think it would be within England's interest to, to play mainly uh, eventually, of course. Um, I don't know if the Euros is too soon in terms of like the mental pressure, but the guy. The guy can hack it, you know. We've seen we've seen just how seamlessly he's slotted in, slotted in at United. And in certain games, you know, I think of the Everton away game uh, when we won three 0 where he just looked like the be- the best, most confident player on the pitch. Um, and I think he's come into a United team who are, you know, who have been pretty unconfident this season. Um, his confidence has never looked low, um, and that's something which I think will translate well into international football if Southgate choose to go with him. Um, I think he's somebody who's very good at manipulating the space and finding where the space is, which for, for the international game, very, very important. You know, we saw how much better Paul Pogba was on the international stage because of his ability to pick out where the space was, to run into it in sort of like a more 
South American sort of way rather than like a very positional European idea, you know, more more fluid, right? And we don't, we don't, we don't know what Mania will be like in the international game and we've only seen snippets of him in academy football outside of playing first team club football. So I don't know, it's, it's probably a bit too soon to decide whether he's going to, you know, flourish on the international stage or not, something we have to learn. But I do think that the more open nature of the game will actually suit him really well. So it could be the case that Southgate gives him a call up soon, uh, you know, in March, and then and then likes the look of him. Uh, faith in Southgate to do that, but I I will talk about what mm. I think Manu can provide England. The reason I don't have faith in Southgate is because last weekend he was watching Jordan Henderson play for Ajax, uh, which yeah. makes me worry big time as an England fan. Uh, but I think the reason why Manu should be considered is because. Again, something that I alluded to earlier about his ability to be a Swiss army knife in midfield and what that allows um, the players that he's playing with to to go out and do. And the main player I'm talking about is Jude Bellingham. I think Manu's um, facilitation of other midfielders at Man United, even at his young, young age, shows that in the future he really should be utilised and you could even utilise him now because he's, he's facilitating other midfielders you know, at such a young age. And I think... By taking the sort of brunt of the passing away from them, right? Because he's such a high possession volume player. 100%. And um, as Jude Bellingham, a lot of his best work has been collecting it closer to goal for Real Madrid. Mm. And I feel like the criticism for the players that England have at their disposal is they're either really defensive and can play the six or they're too attacking and they are out and out tense and I think that means we're sort of putting Jude Bellingham into the eight role sort of by necessity rather than by choice and I think playing Bellingham as a as an eight is completely fine but if we want to unlock him at all levels a player like Mainu who I think has got the abilities to be a proper eight uh, a, a player that can do everything can help facilitate Jude Bellingham in a way I mean, who else can? Calvin Phillips, Jordan Henderson? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was funny with Calvin Phillips on the weekend, wasn't it? Um, he was absolutely terrible when he came on. Yeah. I mean, you would have been there hearing the, the stick that the mm. Stratford End were throwing him. Clearly got in his head because he came on and threw an absolute stinker, mate. <laughs> I, I do feel a bit sorry for him. Uh, I mean, I don't have too much sympathy, but... I do feel a bit sorry for him in that, in that he was completely like you know it's not nice to see a footballer go somewhere and not play, um, but then at the same time like Leeds, Man City, like I've got I've got, I've got little sympathy and it was very it was very funny just how McTominay just completely bulldozed him and he was he was rubbish in the previous game as well. Clearly a guy who's suffering because he's not played enough. I mean, I did have a bit of sympathy for Calvin Phillips back when he was at Leeds just because I sort of fancied him at United at one point. Uh, but I lost all mm. sort of emotion towards Calvin Phillips when he went to Man City. Uh, but that's a different story. Uh, moving on to yeah. a different player, uh, a Man United player that we might have to be without. Uh, he won't be playing much football in the next two months at least. That's um, Lissandro Martinez. A massive blow when he just managed to get a few games together in the first team. Uh, I think it was Suchek that injured him. Uh, and Is it an ACL or... It's uh, it's uh, it was it was Sufal and it's uh, it's MCL, um, so the, the medial collateral ligament. Uh, I think um, I'm I'm not a sports doctor, but it's not it doesn't look good uh, at all, does it? Um, and it's very much a case of 
probably quite a voluble injury. Yeah, and um, probably something that we're better at than diagnosing him um, and his injury <laughs> is talking about his ability to unlock Man United with certain um, features to his play. Uh, Isaac, I know you wanted to mention about a sort of uh, revelation that you had. You messaged me about it, about Johnny Evans and why he's not been capable of doing the Lissandro Martinez role. And that sort of sheds light on exactly the role that Lissandro Martinez does. Uh, for a bit of context, Isaac messaged me at like, I think it was like 11 o'clock, like, mate, I've just figured something out. Uh, if you want to talk about that and uh, how yeah, much yeah. we'll miss Lissandro Martinez in the next few months. I mean, there's been a lot of talk this season about about, about how we're going to, you know, deal with the fact that he's not been there, right? Because he's not been there for most of the season and we haven't dealt with it very well. Um, I think having no Luke Shaw has been a big miss in that, in the, you know, Shaw is an option to, to cover for him and maybe we'll talk about that in a bit now. Um, obviously, there was a whole Raphael Varane saga with Ten Hag talking about passing angles and then he was playing Johnny Evans on the left, not Raphael Varane. Um, and then there's a stat that emerged today, which, you know, we've known this for a while because if you look on FB ref, I think they've actually got rid of this metric now, but you could see Varane's two-footedness. But Rafael Varane has used his, his left foot 48% of the time and is the joint most ambidextrous player in the Premier League. So in terms of playing on the left-hand side, why is that an issue? So we, we obviously discussed this last week. We were talking about sort of the two-footedness and why is a problem. And I had speculation that it was about Varane's carrying or something like that on his left. We, we didn't really get to the bottom of it. It's, it's puzzled United fans all season. I think what the problem was, and this is something we see Martinez do, you know, this season, and we haven't really, we didn't really do it last season, is that sort of idea of the fullback of the centre back dropping into the second line, um, you know, rather than the fullback? We saw, you know, the way that Pep Guardiola worked last season at Man City with John Stones always inverting from centre back, and that's what Ten Hag wanted to do with Martinez this season: put Martinez in the second line and have the, the flat first line with with either one of the fullbacks, the other centre back, and then Onana, um, because Onana is obviously that much more gifted on the ball than De Gea was. Uh, supposedly. I, mean, I think he has been, but you know, probably not enough to justify too much so far. Anyway, um, I think that the problem is, is that Varane facing away from goal on receiving on his left foot can't do it as well as Martinez, obviously, right? And that, But then Evans is maybe a little bit better at that. Um, you know, his turning circle onto those sort of angles on his left maybe is a little bit better. But at the same time, it's nowhere near Martinez. And I think it's almost got to a point where Ten Hag was like, well, I'm going to stop doing this. And then you haven't got Luke Shaw to help you progress down the left-hand side. You haven't got Casemiro, who's, who's an absolute progressive monster, although he is almost a little bit too careless in his past election. Um, so, yeah, monologue over. Essentially, I think that the problem without Martinez has been that there's nobody else in the squad that can do his role, especially in Luke Shaw's absence. So, yeah, I, I, I think hopefully now we can deal with it a little bit better. So let's, let's focus on the solution then. Um, and that is, as you alluded to, Luke Shaw. And I feel like mm. an underrated in inclusion of the solution is uh, Terrell Malassia. Because if you move mm. Luke Shaw into uh, left centre-back, we still lack sort of a technically secure left-back that is good under a press and also can do some progression. My criticism of Malassia, who seems to be a forgotten man uh, last season, was that he didn't do enough in the attacking third to really impress me. But... One thing I do have to give him is his technical security in the first third. Do you think yeah. if Luke Shaw moves into the centre and Malassia, I think he's due to come back within the next month at least, 
can that be part of a, a solution that Ten Hag comes up with? Well, I mean, it's what he did last season in Martinez's absence and it worked. I mean, obviously, as we said, well, as I said, last season it was slightly different because we weren't doing that sort of centre-back inverting into the second line idea. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I think, you know, Malassia has been quite badly missed in terms of his technical security this season, um, you know, especially with those two both injured. Um, I, where we spoke about Malassia a little bit before, about how he's quite two-footed himself, you know, he's, he's, he's good at receiving on his right, he's a very capable inverter. Uh, so it does give you a good tactical solution, especially in the first phase. Um, I don't know. I think I think, I think think Ten Hag will probably go for sure on Malassia when Malassia's fit. But the question is, when is Malassia fit? No one really knows. And it's been, you know, he'll be back next week, he'll be back next week, he'll be back next week for the last three or four. Um, we know he's not available for the Villa game. Hopefully he's available, you know, after that. Uh, but if we have Malassia, I think he'll do Malassia sure. Um, otherwise, I mean, Wan-Bissaka's got an injury now as well. So you can't exactly shift that away. But we sent Regulon back. We're quite stretched. Um, you know, I don't think, I think it's far too early to look at Harry Amas, but definitely is worth mentioning him, the 16-year-old tearing up in the, in the academy at the moment too, at left back. But I don't know. I think Malassia will probably come in and start, yeah. Let's look forward then. Uh, and that's probably something that we should preempt, at least definitely for next season, in providing cover for Lissandro Martinez. Because mm. we've seen twice now this season that when he's out, we lack a lot in terms of tactical flexibility and just developing uh, some patterns when we play. What can we look for in the market and who can we look for in the market that can really be you know, good enough cover for Lissandro Martinez and potentially at right centre-back as well? Have you got a few names? I've got a couple of names I want to throw out there. I reckon you should start with your name and uh, we'll, we'll play off yeah. that. Um, my name is someone that has become much more prominent this season. A lot of people know who he is now. He's doing really well. Um, he plays for Everton. It's Jared Branthwaite. I think he is, I think he's a really solid option. And like, you know, you can look at him statistically. Um, I've actually got some stats written down. He is uh, the best in the Premier League for the percentage of dribblers tackled. Um, and he's very proactive in duels like Martinez. Is. You know, he's someone who's aggressive. He steps out of the line. Lots of his recoveries are in the middle third of the pitch rather than being more more, more reactive. Um, he, you know, he's somebody who's got 3.59 tackle interceptions per game, um, which is, you know, evidence of that. Um, yeah, these, are, these are good stats, by the way. I've come up with some good ones here. Um, and obviously at Everton, they've not had as much of the ball as he would have had on his loan at PSV last season. And they wouldn't have as much of the ball as he would have at United. So the, the possession statistics on face value aren't especially high in comparison to other centre-backs. But when you compare them to PSV last season, he had a 71% long pass completion, you know, over long distances, which is very important because that's something Martinez gives us when Ten Hag likes to overload, 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 then switch the play. That's Martinez's big, big plus. He can do that. Um, and that's, that was in the 94th percentile. It's 71% long pass accuracy amongst amongst defenders in Europe. Um, he was in the 75th percentile um, for pass completion, uh, sorry, for passing to the final third, and he had an 87% pass completion overall. So he's someone who's very, very good on the ball too. Six foot five, left-footed, also very comfortable on his right. He's a, he's a very good operator off either side. Definitely a left centre-back though. He can carry well. Um, again, more of this to see in his game as, as, as he develops and joins possession-based team. Um, someone who's a big goal threat too, which is, is, is an underrated quality. 
thighs of you know having a season at PSV. I remember watching him against Arsenal in the Europa League last year. Very technically secure. He looked very technical secure, technically secure in that match. Obviously, that's one match, but the stats back up. You know what you what I saw in that match, and uh, his his time at PSV is a very good good sign of things to come if he were to move into yeah. a possession based team. Uh, and then you know he's been very strong for Everton uh, at a young age. The question is, what's the price that you expect him to be at? Um, let's hope that Everton get another 10 point deduction. Um, (laughs) uh, you know, as as much as, as much as I think some of that's maybe a bit harsh in comparison to what's going on City and Chelsea, but no, I, I I imagine Everton will want like around 60 million at least. Um, uh, that would be, you know, even if they got relegated, I think they'd, they'd, they'd want a lot of money for him. Um, it is again. You know, is, is, it, is, it, is it a case of an Alwan Bissaka type thing where you're buying somebody off one season? I don't know. He had a brilliant season at PSV. Um, he's obviously a player who's, who's got a lot of potential. Look how much money Everton got for Anthony Gordon. And I think he'd probably get more for, for, for him. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Bradford is really good. Really, really good. But that is my concern. Is that is it is United tax, is inter, inter, inter-league, he's English, homegrown, of course. I, I think it could be a very expensive one. Um, especially if he's not going to start week in, week out. I think a lot of it, if United choose to go for an uh, ultra premium sort of young option like that, it will depend on how Martinez recovers from this foot injury that he's got going on at the same time as his MCL. Hopefully, having have a bit of time, you know, let's look at the bright side here. Hopefully, that if when Martinez is out now with this with this you know knee injury, he can actually rest and recover his foot injury rather than overexerting himself and re-injuring that because there were suggestions that he was complaining about his foot after the Newport game. So, you know, maybe maybe it's something where if that injury is more serious than we think and Martinez is not going to be as available moving forward, then you go and get a big premium option um, like Joe Brandt-Braith. Otherwise, um, maybe there's a cheaper option in the market. I don't know. You did mention you had a couple names, Isaac. What Out of curiosity, what was the second name to compliment? Um, yeah, well, we have a good Gonzalo Inacio. At, at sporting um who i think is a very good option and, and there's the, the athletic uh, carl anker did a really good piece in the week actually um where he ranked inacio as being um 93.3 percent similar to martinez from a statistical point of view i've seen inacio play a few times i, I think he's a bit rash i'm not I'm not, a, I'm not a massive fan obviously the player who's been talked about quite a lot across europe this season is uh, joel hatto from ajax and it wouldn't be surprising if ten Hag went and signed uh, hatto you know because of this sort of consistent Dutch slash Ajax link that he's got in the market. Or 18. He's 17, he's 17, but he's doing really well. And look, I don't know how much Ajax would charge for Hato, but this is a, this is a case of you could definitely bring somebody in who would be understanding of being an understudy. You know, at 17 years old at Manchester United, you're not going to be expecting to start every game. And I think we have got to think about that when we're recruiting for this position. Just something, another Ajax link, because um, it looks like all of your Ten Hag's... Um, Transfer rumours tend to be somehow related to him. Probably at the higher end of things is uh, Matthias De Ligt. Apparently rumours that he might want to leave Bayern. I don't know at this point, you know, to be honest, I don't really know how he's performing, but would you consider that based off what we've seen of De Ligt in the past? I don't know. I, I don't know. There's a part of me that like I look at De Ligt, I look at De Jong, you know, linked of United in the past clearly didn't really want us 
do you really go back? Do you go back? Do you prove a point? Oh yeah, hi guys. Um, <laughs> by the way, you, you can still come to us. Uh, I don't know. I don't know it's how like I feel going back to Sean Millis. I don't want that to be a running theme. I don't know. No hard feelings, uh, Sean Millis. Um, I think you took that harder than I did. But no, no, no. I'm genuinely. Uh, I don't know. I mean. Uh, I don't know about Delict. I, I think he's a very good player, obviously, and he did he did very well um, last season. I thought um, from what I from what I saw of him, um, seems to have had a few injuries this year as well. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I think the right side of, of, of defense will completely depend on the future of Harry Maguire, and it could be the case that Maguire stays another year. Um, I think he's still got. I think he's still got a couple more years left on his deal as well. He's had quite a long deal when he joined be uh seen especially with Ineos saying that they're not going to keep players that aren't performing and they're happy to sort of cut ties so it'll be interesting to see how that mm. plays out Isaac I think we've managed to do our shortest pod so far and I don't know how, how do you think that went mate I feel like we we kept it quite short and sweet to the point yeah it wasn't too much to talk but I think we left it in that sort of like awkward period of um we're not well, I guess the Villa game is coming up we didn't really talk about the Villa game I don't really know how that's going to go to be honest with you uh, haven't really thought about it too much um, especially with Martinez being out um, and we kind of left it a bit too late after West Ham to instantly be reactive I think it was, it was very good it was, it was a nice chat mate I enjoyed it and I think with that Isaac I think it was a fairly successful pod considering we were very unreactive and more just mm. chatting chatting about the general scene of it was the- it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a chatty one, wasn't it, really? We could, we could talk about something if you want. I don't know if anyone's sticking around. We could talk about something completely different if you want. As in non-football related? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, what, what's, 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 what's your plan for the weekend, mate? For the weekend, mate? I'm actually having a quiet one. I've had a hectic time with work. And mm. now I think... Saturday, actually, no, I am going to Liverpool to see a mate that from who's coming to the country from switzerland so that's going to be interesting and then on sunday i'm having a quiet one so that's not the barisha dortmund ceo is it or something like nah, that nah mate oh you've, you've dubbed me in here <laughs> i've got his number though so if you want us to try and tap him up live on a on a united cloud podcast i think that would need quite a lot of likes for me to do that uh the story behind that is um he was in like a, a an event that i went to and uh, we sort of went up to him and as a joke, me and my mates were like, oh, can we get a refund on Sancho? And uh, he found it quite endearing, to be fair. So, uh, yeah, uh, 100,000 likes and we'll, we'll call him live on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny. That'd be so good. We could, we could, oh, mate, imagine, imagine, how, imagine how much you could ask him. It'd be really, really interesting, actually. Exactly. Joking that. aside. Any, any plans for you, mm-hmm. mate? Oh no! Um, I'm I'm going to watch the rugby, um, and I'll whatever happens to Wales will determine what I do. Is that in really. the Millennium Stadium? Yeah. No, it's a twist. It's, it's, it's a Twickenham. I'm not going, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 honestly, it's uh, you know everyone. I, I love rugby uh, as much it, as I love football. Here's a question now: but, If hmm. Wales were playing rugby and United were playing at the same time. What are you watching? Um, funnily enough, I actually missed the game when Ole got sacked, the Watford game, because I was watch. I was at, I was at the stadium watching rugby. I mean, it was a good game to miss. Um, 
like typically I'll value I'll value United um, like Premier League game like a big Premier League game over over the rugby like I'd watch. I don't know. I've been lucky. I've not really had too many of these re- clashes. But I remember we went we went on a train to watch the the Chelsea match, and I was just asking Isaac so many hypothetical questions. I remember asking you, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, Wales win the the Rugby World Cup or United win the Champions League. I don't remember what you said, mate. But I'm dobbing you in whilst we're on a United podcast to see what the answer is. I can't. I cannot. I cannot give you my honest answer on this show. On this show, which which insinuates that if if we weren't on this show behind closed doors, it's Wales, mate. It's Wales, isn't it? I, I prefer really not to speak. I, I prefer not. To if speak. I speak, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can I can say with my chest that I'd rather United win against Aston Villa on the weekend than England win. The World Cup because I don't I don't really give a shit yeah. about England. So yeah, if England have already won the World Cup, if Wales won the World Cup, it would be unbelievable. I mean, in football, of course, yeah. in, even in rugby, like it would be the like I don't know. I think I, I uh, country country over club for me. Um, maybe it's slightly different when I don't know. I'm like I'm like I'm like proper like always fight in my corner with my my entire life. I've been a Welshman living in England, and all my mates are England fans, and just. You know, it really brings it more out of you. Yeah. You know, I don't know. A tribal. Maybe I've got like super. I, I can't imagine yeah, Isaac yeah, yeah. as a tribalistic, like sports fan. To be honest, so like, I, I'd quite like to see you at a Welsh, <laughs> Welsh rugby match and just see how you. Oh, how I'm, you're diff- different. I'm, I'm different. I'm different at rugby to football. Yeah, football. I'm more like the rational, like mm, the thinker, the nerd. When it's rugby, I'm more of a. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's ask a question to the audience. Would you rather your country win? a world cup or a euros I, i'd imagine everyone's either like english or like welsh speaking people i mean do you have many welsh like hey i had a look at the um i had a look at the demographics you've got people from all over we've literally got people from all, all the continents who are listening to this who have listened to any what's this before what's the most surprising um, we, demographic the most surprising country i don't know i, I mean in, what what surprised me the most is that most of the people listening were from London, which is just like I don't know. Maybe because I'm a London United fan, they can relate to me a bit, um, and that's why maybe they're more hardcore followers of United Cloud. But um, the most surprising country was uh, Chile. Right, so Chileans watching, would you rather them win the World Cup? Shout out to Chile. Yeah, big up. Chile. Oh, surely if I was if I'm if I'm Chilean. I'm taking a World Cup. Imagine that Over you've got like United, unbelievable. But if you're a die, well, to be fair, I'm just not <sighs> very patriotic at all. But like a United, like quadruple. Like I'm pushing the boat here, tr- trying to make it as hard as possible. But I'd imagine most people choose country over club. I'm not that deluded to see that. That's the normality. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I don't know a, though. I don't know. Like I surely, I don't know. Surely, if you're a Chilean guy, right? And you, you, you could just like, you've got unbelievable, like the amount of propaganda you've got for the rest of your life talking about Chile winning the World Cup to any of the South American rivals you've got. Like Argentina, just remember, like, I know they've won the World Cup themselves, but they're such a completely different context. Like, they're not going to be able to chat to you. Like, you, you've just won the World Cup. <laughs> like, but Chile, and you I, won the World Cup. I just, yeah. It, it's, it, I, I realise the conversation's very different when you take it out of England and take it out of me, to be honest. Yeah. Most English fans that I know would, would laugh at me saying that United over England. But I guess I guess that's a question. If you're still around, uh, get that in the comments, give your answers, and uh, we'll see yeah, that you've so. watched the pod 
to the very end. But I think that was a very interesting pod, Isaac. And I think that's us wrapped up. So thanks for watching. Yeah, enjoyed that. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.